What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Listen to Me Speak podcast. I am your host, Kayla Taylor, and we are on episode 21, season 2. And like I say every week, thank you guys so much for listening to last week's episode, sharing it with your friends, sharing it on social media, liking my posts, promoting it. It's all appreciated. There's so much I want to get into in this episode today, so we're just going to get right into it. So I want to start off this episode by talking about Tamar Braxton because she has apparently revealed that she's working on two new albums, which makes me happy because she's one of my favorite singers. And when she announced her retirement in 2017 with her Blue Birds of Happiness, I believe that's the name of the album, I really felt it was too soon and I kind of felt like her hand was forced because she was going through a lot at the time. This was on the heels of her suffering. I think it was like an issue with blood clots. This is when she was on Dancing with the Stars and you know, when that happened to her, she actually had to leave the show, which I was also disappointed with because she was doing great. And she was also going through marital issues with her husband at the time and a lot of mental health issues, I believe too, in light of everything that's happened to her since. And so I think also it was a mix of some financial mistakes on her ex-husband's part, bad business moves. And I think she just decided, you know what, I'm just going to retire rather than continuing to make music. I don't think her label situation was that great either. I believe the last album was put out through E1 on her own kind of label. And I don't remember where she was signed beforehand. But I'm assuming bad a bad business deal was the reason she was let go from that label because it seemed like a lot of things were going wrong at that time. I believe it may have been shortly after that album she was let go from the reel as well. So I think all, instead of like, I know she has this theory that Lonnie and the women at the time, I don't think that's her theory anymore, that they had something to do with her firing. I really think it was due to bad business and Vince was to blame for a lot of the things going wrong in her uh, professional career at the time. So I kind of felt like she just decided to retire, not because she didn't want to make music anymore or because she necessarily actually wanted to retire, but because she really didn't have a choice in the matter. So I am happy to hear that she's working on not only one album, but two, because like I said, she's one of my favorites and I kind of think she's unappreciated and overlooked not only in the vocals department, but also her albums as well. Tamar put out some of the best R&B albums in the 2010s with Love and War, with Calling All Lovers. Like Those are really, really great albums, and I feel like she's overlooked a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do with her bad personality, too. Tamar is not the easiest person to get along with, and this is just what I see from reality TV and just even her time on The Real. She's got a very bold and in-your-face personality and... You may love it or you may hate it, and a lot of people tend to hate it. So I'm pretty sure that plays a part in why she's not bigger than what she should be because I personally like her music more than I like Toni Braxton's, and that's just no shade. That's no, like, me trying to be taking shots at Toni Braxton, I think. I do like a couple of her songs here and there, but Tamar just makes music that um, is geared towards my taste more, and I connect with her music better, and I, I just think her music overall is just better. So it's a shame that she's not as big as I think she should be. But I can't wait to hear what music she's been working on. I don't know if she's released any singles. I'm I'm definitely going to head to her Spotify page and check it out because I've kind of been out of the loop with Tamar because after she announced her retirement and she wasn't making music, then it seemed like her drama was the forefront 
of all of the entertainment and that's not what I want to see. So I kind of ease off of Tamar because it was like nonstop drama. It's tiring. And since she wasn't making music anymore, I was like, there's just no use in following her. But if now that she's back to making music, I may follow her again to try to keep up with what she's doing. And, you know, so I can be tuned in when the album drops and whenever it does, whether it's this year or next year, I'll definitely be locked in and I'll definitely be telling you guys what I think. I'll give a review of her albums. I'm assuming if she's working on two albums, one maybe will drop by the end of the year and the other one will drop next year, I guess, to make up for lost time. And, you know, she'll probably want to tour as well. So I'm excited. I was, I was happy to read that news. Moving on from Tamar, Drake posted pictures of himself, Future, and Metro Boomin on Instagram in the studio after teasing that something is, quote, loading. Drake, certified lover boy, has been loading since last summer. I don't really take anything he says seriously. I take it with a grain of salt. At this point, Drake should stop teasing and just drop. I know a lot of people are now thinking that what a time to be alive too is, you know, being made. And this is my thing. If what a time to be alive too drops before Certified Lover Boy, I'm going to throw a fit. I really am. Because it's becoming more obvious that for whatever reason, Drake will do anything to delay this album from coming out. And this is what I think, and, and I've said this time and time again with other artists, Big Sean most recently, an album is not going to get any better. If you've been working on an album for two, three years, and I think that's as long as Drake's been working on this body of work for, there are probably several versions of this album at this point. There becomes a period where you overwork an album. Certified Lover Boy as it stands is not going to get any better. It can only get worse because you're overthinking everything that you're doing. You're constantly ch changing the music that you're putting on the album. You're constantly overworking the music you want on the album. And then it becomes something completely different. Certified Lover Boy from last year to the version that we're most likely going to end up getting in a couple of months is a completely different album. And I can't understand how when you create an album, your album should always have a theme, but albums don't always have themes. But it's very clear that Certified Lover Boy has a theme. With a title like Certified Lover Boy, he's clearly heading in some direction. I can't imagine that the theme is as strong or consistent as it was when it was in its original form last year. The version of Certified Lover Boy we're going to end up getting, I fear, is not going to be as tight and consistent as it maybe was before. Because it seems like he was more confident in the album when he first announced it than he is now. And you're only delaying the inevitable. This album is going to have to come out sometime soon. He's, I feel like he's on his Kanye, where Kanye will say, hey, this album is coming, and then all of a sudden it, it never comes out. It's like a myth. So if Drake drops What a Time to Be Alive 2 before Certified Lover Boy, I will be annoyed because it's just further proving that he so desperately does not want this album to come out. And there's nothing wrong with taking your time on an album, but you also can't keep saying album coming soon, album coming soon with no album in sight. I feel like when he decided that this album was not coming out in January, he should have never given us a new date, which is what he did in the beginning. He just said, I look forward to giving you this album soon, which is what he should have kept it at. No teasing, no telling academics that you're not putting out the album any later than April don't give any hints or tease anything until you are certain that this album is coming out. 
And Drake really should have learned his lesson from Views because he made a similar mistake with Views where he kept saying album coming soon, he kept hyping this album up and he kept delaying it. And then it finally came out and at the time, the album didn't live up to the hype because you're building Views up to be this great body of work and then it comes out and nothing can live up to any body of work, whether it's an, an album or a movie or a TV show. When you build up hype for a project so much, no matter how good that project might be, it's not going to be as good because it's not going to live up to this unbelievable amount of hype you've built up for it. And that was the case with Views. Views definitely had to age. I think we all look back and we listen to Views with different ears, with more appreciation. And I remember him giving an interview where he said that that was where he went wrong with Views. And it seems like he's heading in that same direction with Certified Lover Boy, but even worse. I think this is even worse than what he did with Views. So if What a Time to Be Alive 2 does come out in the coming weeks, it's going to be very obvious that he's putting this out to hold fans over once again while he continues to work on Certified Lover Boy. He's buying himself more time if he releases this mixtape of Future. He's just buying himself more time. And it's just making, I've already seen Drake fans feel like how I feel where they say that they feel annoyed because it's so obvious what he's doing. And all he's going to end up doing is delay the inevitable and he's also building up more unintentional hype. The longer he takes to put out this album, the more hype it's going to build. And then that album, I already know whether I like this album or not, it's not going to live up to the hype that we all have for Certified Lover Boy right now. I saw a Drake fan on Twitter kind of point out a pattern. So for the first What A Time To Be Alive and that came out in 2015, Drake had dropped, if you're reading this, it's too late. Future had dropped his project. I'm not a big Future fan, so I don't know. I don't remember what project it was that Future dropped. But they both dropped projects that year. And then in September, they dropped What A Time To Be Alive. And at this point, Drake was kind of entering a new tier in his career where he was just gaining more popularity. And so he had this crazy run in 2015. And then after What a Time to Be Alive dropped in 2016, he dropped Views. So it was kind of like he's a fan theorized that he's kind of doing that again. In 2020, he dropped Dark Lane demo tapes, which was a mixtape. Then he may drop What a Time to Be Alive 2 and then Certified Lover Boy. Or it could be flipped, and I hope it's flipped, where he drops Certified Lover Boy, and then towards the end of the year, he drops What a Time to Be Alive 2. And that was my theory last year. My theory was that Drake was going to drop Certified Lover Boy back when we thought it was still coming out in January. I theorized that he was going to drop Certified Lover Boy in January, first quarter, and then he wasn't going to let the, the year end without dropping another body of work because we already know 2021 is gearing up to be a big year for music. A lot of people are already dropping. I'm hearing rumors that this month is going to be jam-packed with music, and I believe it. We're already starting to see it. So I believe, based off of how Drake has operated in the past, he's not going to let the end of the year go without throwing in another project. So I theorized that he was going to link up with Future and drop What a Time to Be Alive 2 towards the fourth quarter of the year. And I have this theory because a lot of the times when artists drop in the first quarter, by the time we get to even the summer, sometimes it's easily it's easy to forget that they even dropped because so much music has dropped since then so drake strikes me as the type of artist that doesn't want to get lost in the sauce and so he would want to drop again so that people could remember oh yeah drake is still active out here he's still making music you know he's dropping you know a project amongst a whole bunch of other artists that are dropping as well he doesn't want to feel left out that's the kind of 
you know, vibe that I get from Drake and he's proven that in the past. So I had assumed he was going to end up doing that because What a Time to Be Alive 2 has been teased since last year. So I felt like it was still going to come out. There are probably several different versions of that mixtape that exist as well because Drake and Future record a whole bunch of music together always. They could easily put out four sequels to What a Time to Be Alive with the amount of music that they have. So it seems like that might be the case. I think Future is working on his own project. I think I heard, not I heard, I read some fans say that that this song that they're recording could be for Monster 2, which is apparently what Future is working on. But I do think What a Time to Be Alive 2 is a strong possibility. It's just a matter of, is it going to drop before Certified Lover Boy or is it going to drop after? But I do hope that my theory is correct that Drake will drop Certified Lover Boy first and then before the end of the year, they're going to drop that project together so that Drake can have multiple projects in the year because it's not the first time that he's done this and he'll probably continue to do so. I also read a theory that People are saying that Drake may drop in July or August for Certified Lover Boy. I can't see it being August because I really can't see Drake going a whole summer without dropping an album. But again, if he does drop What a Time to Be Alive 2 in June, like people are assuming they will, then technically he would have dropped a project in the summer. I said this, I think, earlier this year. I'm done making theories and guesses on when Drake is actually going to drop Certified Lover Boy because he's continuing to drag his feet. And I'm tired of, you know, making myself crazy with, oh, he's going to drop here, he's going to drop here. I don't know when Drake's going to drop. I don't believe anything that I'm reading. Once Drake actually comes out with the release date, then I'm going to take his word for it. And I mean an official release date alongside an album cover and things like that, like a full track list. When he does all of that, then I'll believe Drake is coming. I think anybody's guess, it's anybody's guess at this point. Moving on from Drake to someone who is actually dropping an album, Snow Allegra's new album, Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies, is coming out July 9th. I've been anticipating a new album from her since she dropped Dying For Your Love. I've had that song on repeat. I think it ended up, I put it on the best songs of 2020 last year, and I think it ended up being on my Spotify wrapped for songs I played the most. I was absolutely obsessed with it. I was convinced she was going to drop an album last year, and I was disappointed when she didn't, but it's good to know that she is dropping one this year. She also gave us the track list and cover art. The album will be 15 songs, which is a good album length in my opinion. I think any album from 13 to 15 songs is a great length. Anything over that tends to have a lot of fillers, so I think that's a good, a healthy amount of songs for an album. And I also love that there aren't a whole lot of features. I think she has a feature with James Fauntleroy. She has two with Tyler, the creator, and I believe those are the only ones. And on past projects, she's never been a featured heavy artist. You know, she kind of shines on her own albums, which is not something you get with a lot of artists these days. A lot of albums are, they have too many features. So I'm glad that Snow is sticking to that where she's not doing a whole bunch of features. I'm not crazy about the cover art for the album, it, it, you know, but as long as the music is good, it really doesn't matter. I don't care. But the, the album cover art, like someone like went in and like edited her eyes so that they looked violet to match the the title of the album or whatever I don't know it just looks like something that you can do on an iPhone app where you just change the color of your eyes like I don't know if you guys remember a lot of those apps that were coming out around the time that Instagram was was popping that they would like let you change the 
the color of your eyes is no different than like a Snapchat filter where it allows you to change your eye color. And, and I don't know, it just kind of looks cheap. But if the music is good, I really don't give a shit. I am super excited. I've had her last album, several songs on her last album on repeat. I think that album came out in 2019. So she's definitely due for a new one. I imagine that she may release a new song this week, especially because she put out the pre-order for the album. So I do hope that we get another new single before the album. And as much as I like Dying For Your Love, I am happy that that also didn't make the cut for the album so that we have all new music. Megan Thee Stallion announced that she's releasing a new song called That Shit this Friday. And this announcement comes days after she revealed that Tina Snow is making a comeback. Tina Snow is her best body of work, and it's the mixtape that caused me to fall in love with Meg as a rapper, so I'm excited that she listens to a lot of fans and is bringing her Tina Snow persona back. I know when um, her debut album Good News came out last year, a lot of people were disappointed, and though I like the album okay enough, I definitely agree with a lot of fans who were disappointed with Good News. I felt like it could have been a stronger album. She could have came a lot harder on certain songs and she didn't. And a lot of the songs were just kind of like typical and basic. And Tina Snow, that's where Megan really brings the bars. If you listen to that mixtape, if, if you haven't heard any other song from Megan before, I really would recommend that mixtape because you really just hear her raw skill and talent on there. And it's really the mixtape that set her up to be what she is today. And I know a lot of fans, when they were complaining about good news, they were saying, you know, we miss Tina Snow. We want Tina Snow to come back, you know, dig back into that bag that you were in on the Tina Snow mixtape. So it's very clear that Megan and her team were listening to a lot of what fans had to say because Megan really does connect a lot with her fans. She's always twinning them. She'll follow them even before she blew up during the Tina Snow um, era, she really was interacting with her fans a lot. So I know she values a lot of their opinions and she decided after good news to go on a, like a little short hiatus. I thought, honestly thought she was going to take a little bit longer during her, her hiatus to like, you know, recover and take time for herself and really think about what her next moves are going to be music wise. But it's very clear that, you know, she said, you know what? A lot of fans miss Tina Snow you know, I'm hearing and receiving a lot of the criticism that I got on this album. So let's go somewhere different um, for this next phase. And I think this project that she has coming out, I do think it'll probably be a mixtape and not an album. I would love a whole Tina Snow album, but I kind of think because she just put out her debut late last year, it hasn't been that long. I think that she'll probably put out a mixtape um, this summer with that persona. And I can't wait because like I said, it's the reason I became a fan of Megan. So I and I always appreciate artists that really do receive their constructive criticism and they try to get better and not make the same mistakes. So I think that she heard us loud and clear with good news and is deciding to kind of go back to her roots. And I think that this upcoming project that we're gonna get, the song is gonna be dope. I just wanna hear Meg rap, give us the bars. That's all I want from her. Moving on from Megan, I wanted to talk about the Peaches remix that Justin Bieber released, I think it was a couple of days ago. The remix features Ludacris, Snoop Dogg, and Usher, and I love the original version of Peaches, so this remix to me was very unnecessary, mostly because the original version of the song was already a number one hit, so it didn't really need a remix to boost it, and the remix doesn't add anything to the song at all. Nothing is different about the remix other than 
the three new features, Justin Bieber essentially only does the hook in one small part of his verse from the original song. The beat is the exact same. Nothing is really different. Peaches is right in Usher's lane, so he slid on the song and his verse is the standout. I wouldn't have minded him on the original version of the song instead of Daniel Caesar because Daniel didn't fit Peaches at all and Usher kind of made the remix of Peaches bearable and I think that if he if Justin had put him on the original version of Peaches he would have given the song a more authentic R&B sound and he would have elevated the song. Luda is one of my favorite rappers but he sounds off on this remix it's like he couldn't really catch the vibe for the song. Snoop's verse wasn't bad it just wasn't on topic all he did was talk about weed of course and even though Justin mentions weed in the hook, the actual verses on both the original and the remix are about the men talking about the women they love. So Snoop's verse didn't really match the theme at all. I do wish that Usher had actually sang the hook, at least the second hook after his verse, because I think that he would have killed it. And his ad libs that he, his little ad libs that he did do on the hook sounded dope. So he, I think he would have sounded really good on the hook. And that would have at least given the song a little bit of a different feeling. But I definitely think that adding Usher onto a Peaches remix was a smart move. I think that he should have added other singers maybe instead of rappers. But if he was going to have Luda instead of Snoop, he could have added Little John and we could have gotten some of that early 2000s nostalgia when, you know, they used to do music together. But overall, I think that this remix was extremely unnecessary. I'm going to personally stick with the original version of the song, but I am sad that this remix wasn't better because I really do love Usher's verse. It's just not enough for me to save the remix. I think even though Justin Bieber has released a ton of singles before this album, he should have just released another single from the album instead of putting out a remix to Peaches because Peaches is still holding strong on the Hot 100. So I personally don't think that this remix is going to do much for the song, but whatever. It's not like it's going to hurt the song either. Moving on from Justin... Teal released a new song with Willow Smith called Buzzed. It's a simple but stunning song and they both sing really well together. Willow's voice has really matured over the years and she sounds so confident and sure of herself these days. I love it. The smartest thing she did was value her originality and her decision to stay true to herself makes her a better artist today than she was as a kid, but I think that's often the case. I've only heard one other song by Tio, but overall, I like how mellow his sound seems to be. It's very calming, and his production choices are really great, too. I think he produces and plays a lot of instruments, so that's dope. The guitar leads the beat of buzz and gives the song its acoustic and live sound, which I love. I definitely had to add buzz to my summer playlist, and I may check out more of his stuff because so far, I like both songs that I've heard from him, so... I think giving his music a real chance will be a good decision and also it'll be a nice change of pace for me. I like listening to all different types of music. I consider myself to be more well-rounded in my taste of music. I think the only thing I really don't connect with is country music, but overall I think my music is pretty diverse and well-rounded and so I'm interested in hearing more of Tio's music. Haley Kayuko dropped a new song as well. There are a lot of people that dropped music last week. Her new song is called Chance. One of my favorite things about her as an artist is her writing because she always tells vivid and relatable stories in her music and it makes it easy for the audience to connect with her music. 
The beat is kind of basic and has the usual bass and bounce that's found in some of Haley's music, but it works. You can also hear some dark synths in the background too, and I credit The Weeknd for bringing the dark synths back into popularity because After Hours is filled with them and I'm starting to hear that more and more now. Mainly though, the lyrics are really what makes Chance so good. My favorite lines from the song are quote, I don't want to go home and leave as just friends, but I keep letting her go and then it just ends. I also like, quote, I was a no, never may be. I knew she'd never take a chance on me because I personally relate and I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of my friends about this too. Sometimes when it comes to like meeting somebody new or starting to have feelings for somebody new, you kind of get in your own way sometimes of a good thing or of making certain things work because you're not sure of yourself or you're really shy or you just are fearful of taking that leap of faith and I think that this song does a good job of expressing those feelings for you if you don't if you don't know how to express it yourself so I really like this song I don't know if she's gearing up to drop an album I kind of I kind of fell off listening to Haley a little bit I know she's dropped like an EP last year, I think it was, and I think I only heard one song. I liked it and saved it, but I never actually went back and listened to the EP, so I'm kind of out of the loop when it comes to her. I don't know if she's plans on dropping another album. I wouldn't be surprised, but if this is the first single off of the album, she's headed off to a good start. Next on my list is Madison Beer's new song, Reckless. First off, she didn't waste any time by already starting up the rollout for her next album. She literally just dropped her last album, Life Support, in February of this year. And that goes to show you, again, like I was talking about earlier in this episode, when an artist drops an album in the first quarter, especially if it's not memorable, it's so easy to forget that they even dropped by the time you get to the summer or the fourth quarter of the year. Now, Madison's Life Support album wasn't that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't a horrible album. There were some shining moments. It, it was mainly an album that sounded like a new artist trying to find herself. But it's amazing to me that she's already starting on another album in the same year that she dropped her other album. Now, in her defense, a lot of the singles she released off of Life Support came out as early as 2018, so maybe she felt like the music had aged a lot quicker because we had heard a lot of it, you know, prior to the album coming out. And she decided, you know what, maybe life support didn't do as well as her and her team had hoped it would. Let's just give them something else too. Or maybe she's planning on dropping a deluxe version of life support, which would make more sense considering the album came out in 2021. But aside from all of that, I really like this new song. Reckless is a pop ballad that's full of drama, which is something every good pop ballad should have. It's something that's kind of been missing in music lately, so I appreciate this. You got a little bit of it in Driver's License. I mean, you got a lot of it in Driver's License. You know, it was a pretty pop ballad. It, to me, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Driver's License, but a lot of people loved it, and a lot of people also loved it because of the drama surrounding the song, which is something you don't always get a whole lot anymore either. So I really do appreciate it when artists do bring that aspect back. Madison's vocals sound achingly heartbreaking, but still very pretty. The strings in the production are stunning, and I also love the bright bells that surprisingly don't take you out of the misery of the song. My favorite lines from Reckless are, quote, You might love her now, but you loved me first. Said you'd never hurt me, but here we are. Oh, you swore on every star. How could you be so reckless with my heart? And also, quote, you check in and out of my heart like a hotel. 
and she must be perfect. Oh, well, I hope you both go to hell. And I like both of those lines because it's dramatic. And like I said, I love hearing, I, I love the drama in music. Give me drama, give me, be extra, like be theatrical. That's what a good ballad does. And that's why those lines stick out to me too. The last single on my list is Billie Eilish's new song, Lost Cause. I hope I said her name right. My sister will kill me if I didn't. Speaking of my sister, she is the bigger fan of Billie than I am. I've only heard a handful of songs of hers and it's because my sisters played them for me. But I decided to give her new songs a chance and I don't hate this song. I like how jazzy it is, which is probably due to the bass in the production. Lost Cause has a little bit of kick too. And I personally get a kick out of the lyrics, which is where the song gets its kick from. She's pretty much telling her ex that he has no job and nothing smart to add to any conversation, and that's what makes them a lost cause. I am still getting used to her vocal choices and her style, but it's not horrible. I know she can sing, it's just something to get used to, and that's why I decided, you know, if I'm going to get into this new album, I really should listen to the singles as she drops them so I can kind of get a feel for her style and her vocal um, styles as well and the direction that this album is heading in. A lot of people loved her last album. I think that counts as her debut, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? I still may give that album a chance. A lot of people loved it. From the few songs I heard, it really wasn't for me, but I may check it out. My favorite lines from Lost Cause are, quote, You ain't nothing but a lost cause, and this ain't nothing like it once was. I know you think you're such an outlaw, but you got no job. Moving on from the new singles from last week, I wanted to get into, I think, the only album, the only new album I listened to from last week. I'm still going to listen to Lloyd Banks' um, The Course of the Inevitable album because I've been hearing about that album for months. A lot of people are saying good things about it. I'm curious. From what I remember from G-Unit, because I was a kid, but um, from what I remember, Lloyd Banks was a pretty good rapper. He just didn't seem to go much further after G-Unit disbanded, and 50 Cent has his theories about that, which I, I hear that Lloyd Banks has addressed on this album. But I like Lloyd Banks as a kid enough, and so I might check it out. But The Voice of the Heroes by Little Baby and Little Dirk was the only album I actually listened to last week. There really isn't much to say about this album. The one thing I can say is that it's forgettable. There are hardly any memorable moments and the album can actually be kind of predictable at times. The beats don't sound much different from each other, which is not a shock. And though it's not a shock, this makes it much more obvious that this album has tons of fillers. I feel like this album could have been cut down a lot more Rather than 18 songs, it could have been cut down to 13 or 15 songs at least. I will say that I can hear the evolution in Little Baby's verses. He's definitely gotten better as a rapper since 2018. I still don't think he deserves the hype he gets, but it is very clear that he's up next and we just have to get used to it. While Little Dirk and Little Baby collab project makes sense on paper, the outcome of the two of them teaming up together is very boring. The tracks I did like the most from this project are Bruised Up, Please, Still Running, Hats Off, and 2040. So I'm going to start off by talking about Bruised Up. This track is one of the album's rare vulnerable moments, and that's why I think it's a standout. They're talking about something real here. Dirk and Baby talk about the harsh realities of being in and out of the system and how hard the cycle is to break. 
I personally love the hook because of the melody, which is something that Dirk is really good at doing. I also love the beat. The piano adds to the vulnerable emotions you hear in both of their verses. My favorite lines from this track are, quote, ain't no cars, ain't no guns, ain't no fun. What I'ma do if I get locked up? And also, quote, got caught up in the system, ain't have life, but he ain't make it home. That's crazy, got killed in the place that was supposed to save him. The next song I want to talk about is Please. This song stood out to me because I really like both of their verses. Their energy was just right for this song. It almost has a freestyle vibe because Dirk and Baby are rapping almost like they're ranting or going on a tangent. And though I like both verses, I think Dirk has the best verse on this track because he was just really in pocket. My favorite lines from Please are, quote, My lawyer's dogs. When I call, they get richer by the case. I got niggas fuck with dog food and get richer by the day. I know watches, your shit fake. I could tell a Richard by its face because I just think I like his flow in this part of the song. The next song I want to talk about is Still Runnin', which features Meek Mill. This is one of my favorites off of the project because all of them went off on it. Even Meek, and y'all know how I feel about Meek. And even though I don't care for Meek at all, he's always more bearable to me when he's not yelling. And on this song, he's just flowing on the beat instead of doing all of that extra shit. This track is just fun. The beat is also fire. I think it absolutely knocks. I can't wait to play it in the car. And you can really tell that the beat brought out good energy from all of them. The next song I wanted to talk about is Hats Off, which features Travis Scott. This is another track where I feel like Dirk had the better verse, which I can actually say for a lot of the tracks on the album. I just like the energy that he brings to the song. I also think that Travis was a nice addition to the track as well. He comes in at the tail end. His verse isn't very long, but it's short and sweet and to the point. I like it. The last song I want to talk about is a song called 2040. I instantly like this song because of the beat. There's this one part of the beat, I don't know if it's a synth or just high-pitched keys, but I think it sounds absolutely dope. This is one of the few songs where I think Baby had the better verse over Dirk's. He just went off. All in all, by the end of the year, I either won't remember this album exists, or I'll remember it as an album that came and went and really didn't add anything great to the year music-wise. So moving on from music, I wanted to get into a couple of the movies that I watched over this past week. The first one is Angelina Jolie's latest movie, Those Who Wish Me Dead. So a little, first of all, before I give a summary, a slight spoiler alert, I try not to give everything away that happens in these movies, but if you plan on watching them, then definitely skip over these, this next segment because I don't want to spoil anything for you. So a little background on this movie, it centers around this young boy named Connor and his father who are on the run from these two assassins because I think the father is some kind of, um, financial accountant they say his official title but I can't remember and he discovers something that's wrong and so he went to his boss to tell him that you know something is morally wrong and before the boss can do anything about it he's murdered and then they're looking for him next because they know that if they don't kill him or the son that they're going to go to a news station or they're going to go to the media and reveal what was wrong now we never actually find out what the secret is, 
just that it's a big enough secret that it's worth killing someone over. Which is one of the more frustrating parts of the movie that they never actually reveal what the father's secret was, but I guess that that was the whole point that added to the mystique of the movie. And so this little boy is on the run after his father, they end up killing him. And so he bumps into Angelina Jolie's character, her name is Hannah, and she is, I believe, a smoke jumper, which is a firefighter that focuses on just, you know, forest fires. They're in the thick of, like, really deadly fires. And so she's depressed because she made a bad call on one of their, I don't want to say missions because that sounds kind of, like, cheesy. But during one of their calls, I guess she made a bad decision and it resulted in a few people being killed that she couldn't save. And so she's kind of, like, dealing with that. And so she comes into contact with this little boy who's on the run. And so you watch as she tries to protect him from being killed. This movie ended up being as good as its trailer. It kept me interested throughout the entire movie. And I think that this movie had a good mix of like thriller elements. It was enough that you can consider this movie a thriller, but it also had a lot of action. And Angelina does really, really good in action movies. She hasn't done a whole lot of them since Salt. And I think that that's one of her strong suits. So it was nice to kind of see her in an action movie again. The highlight of Those Who Wish Me Dead were both Angelina Jolie's and Finn Littles who plays the kid. Both of their performances were the highlight of this movie. They did a really, really good job, especially Finn Little. He really, for a young actor, he has, he's gonna go places. I hope that he continues to act and he gets bigger and bigger roles because he did a really stellar job. I really felt for Connor while watching him not only grieve his dead father, but also maintaining his strength and bravery while attempting to escape from assassins and trying to grant his father's final wish, which is for the secret to get out. I also enjoyed this film because it wasn't overly predictable and cheesy. And I like that this story comes full circle because you start off with Angelina's character, Hannah, being depressed after a bad call she made, which, you know, resulted in the death of a few people to feeling redemption after she helped save a little boy's life. It's a beautiful moment to watch unfold and watch come full circle. The performances from Nicholas Holt and Aidan Gillen as the assassins are also very chilling, which caused me to feel as fearful as Connor and his dad were throughout the movie, which I feel like made the movie more convincing and more real. Like I said, it was nice to see Angelina back in, in an action movie, and Those Who Wish Me Dead will be added to my collection of thriller movies that I like. If what I had to say about this movie interested you and you haven't seen it yet, then you can check it out on HBO Max if you have it. I think it's up there until June 13th. No, this is not an ad. This is not me promoting HBO Max or anything like that. It's just a really good movie. And if you like movies as much as I do, where you're just in the mood to watch something different, then definitely check out Those Who Wish Me Dead. It's worth your time. So the next movie I wanted to talk about is Amy Adams' new movie, The Woman in the Window. And a little background on this movie is it's about a woman who's played by Amy Adams. Her character's name is Anna Fox. And she is separated from her husband and her child. And she is suffering from, I forgot the exact term, but it's a fear of stepping outside of your house. And so because she refuses to leave her house, that just allows her to watch her neighbors and she has these new set of neighbors that move in and you know she starts to become close to the son and the mother one night she watches the mother get murdered from her window 
And so it's pretty much the story that unravels of her trying to convince the cops and those around her that this woman was murdered. And um, you spend the whole movie trying to figure out if Anna's telling the truth and we're seeing the actual truth or we're just seeing her distorted perspective. So I hope that was a good enough summary. It's kind of like I had a little bit of trouble giving an accurate summary for this movie because it was kind of all over the place. Um, from the trailer, this movie looked really interesting. The actual movie was a complete letdown, though. The major flaw with this film, like I said, is that it was all over the place, which caused me to be confused, and I felt lost while watching it. Now, the buildup of the plot was really engaging in the beginning. The storyline is set up nicely. You get to know a little bit about Anna's condition and how it's affecting her, and then you're thrust into a murder mystery that you're trying to solve through the perspective of the main character who is not a reliable source. Now that part was done really well. It's always interesting reading a story or watching a movie from the perspective of a character who's not reliable because then you start to learn that you can't trust what you're actually seeing. The movie remains engaging up until after the first plot twist of the movie happens where the audience realizes that Anna didn't meet the real Jane who she thinks she saw get murdered. From there, you're left trying to figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth. And from there, this movie becomes a complete mess. I won't spoil who the actual murderer ends up being, but once they're revealed, the climax seems a little underwhelming. The murderer's reason and motive for becoming a serial killer aren't fleshed out enough and doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either. Though I wasn't expecting this character to end up being the killer, it still fell a little flat, and I think it's because their motives weren't clear or interesting enough. They weren't built on enough. Once the killer confesses everything and gives Anna the full background story, it becomes clear that the writers lost some steam storytelling-wise. This is especially obvious because the first half of the movie did a strong job of setting up and building the plot, only for the climax to fall flat. This movie did have a couple of bright spots, though. The director had some really great shots throughout the film and did an amazing job of convincing the audience that we were really seeing the world from Anna's point of view. One of my favorite shots is when the killer falls to their death through the roof because of how beautiful and haunting the rain looks falling around it after the killer falls through the roof. Amy Adams and the rest of the cast's portrayals of the characters were amazing too. Amy's especially because her emotions felt so raw and real and her performance was just extremely believable. I think that's the real highlight of the film. Overall, I think I gave this film a rating of 3 out of 10. You know, I gave it points for the director's direction and some of the beautiful shots, for the portrayals from a lot of the actors and stuff like that, but it lost a lot of points to me because the plot just becomes a mess. For Those Who Wish Me Dead, I gave it a 9 out of 10 because though the movie was really good, the ending could have been fleshed out a little bit more. It was a little disappointing, so I just knocked off a point for that. I think going forward... When I do these movie reveals, I think I'll start adding my own little ratings onto them. I do that on Twitter when I do my th movie thread. But yeah, so for Those Who Wish Me Dead, I think I gave it a 9 out of 10. And for A Woman in the Window, I gave it a 3 out of 10. And even though I wasn't crazy about this movie, I definitely will still recommend it to you because certain movies you just have to watch and see for yourself. So if you do watch this movie, definitely let me know what you think. If you agree with a lot of what I said or if you completely disagree. Moving away from movies, 
It was announced that Love and Hip Hop Atlanta will return next month, July 5th, with three new additions to the cast, one of them being Young Baby Tate. She's the only one I really recognize from the new edition. She is a rapper. I was surprised to see her on there, but I guess it makes a little bit of sense. You know, she's kind of known, but she hasn't blown yet, so this is a way for her to, you know, get more people to know about her and know her music. I am excited that Love and Hip Hop Atlanta returns because I went through like a period during the pandemic, I'm going to call it the Love and Hip Hop part of the pandemic, where I was really bored with, I was just bored in general, but also I was bored with reality TV and I feel like Love and Hip Hop is, you know, my one of my favorite, you know, forms of reality TV and I felt that a lot of reality TV at the time was lacking or it just wasn't on because nothing was being filmed. And even when reality TV returned and new TV shows returned, period, Love and Hip Hop wasn't one of them. And so I'm really happy that it's finally back because I want to know what's going on with Safari and Erica Mena. It was just announced not that long ago that she filed for divorce. Just recently, it came out that they are currently fighting over custody. And so it'll be interesting to watch it, the drama play out in real time because I know the cameras probably have been filming for a couple of months now, maybe even longer. And so a lot of the drama that's been happening that we don't really know about in full, we will actually get to see play out. We'll also see what's going on with Bambi and Scrappy because they've been having issues in their marriage as well. So they're probably next. I, I really do think they're heading for divorce too. So I'm interested in all that drama. Erica Mena makes for good TV. So I can't wait to see that play out. That make that may make me sound like an asshole, but it's true. Things in Atlanta are just getting crazy anyway. I think this new season of Real Housewives of Atlanta is going to be extremely fucking messy because of the triangle that Portia and Simon and Phelan are in. It's just... It's going to be a real mess and I can't wait to watch that mess unfold. So, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to Love and Hip Hop Atlanta returning. Because Atlanta's coming back next month, I feel like after that, the other ones will return too. So I'm looking forward to seeing Hollywood as well. Now, before the episode ends, I want to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is You and Your Hand by Pink. I think it was a couple of episodes I talked about, you know, how as a teenager I went through this really big pink phase. I love a lot of her earlier music, but I fell off as I got a little bit older, you know, it's called a phase for a reason. And when she performed for Billboard for the Icon Award, I remembered how much I loved her and how much I still love a lot of her older music and just decided to revisit her discography. And, you know, I'm also hearing songs that I haven't I hadn't heard before like I never listened to her try this album I never actually heard her debut R&B album can't take me home so I've just been revisiting a lot of her music and falling in love again with a lot of it and falling in love with songs I hadn't heard before and you and your hand was a song I already knew that I loved completely forgot about while listening to her I'm not dead album which is one of my favorite pink albums and I was like oh this is perfect for the song of the week it's def I definitely have to make it the song of the week so why not it's a classic that album and as I'm listening through her discographies my favorites albums from her haven't changed yet I don't see it changing I'm not dead funhouse and um misunderstood and the truth about love are definitely my favorite pink albums I don't think that's changing you in your hand is just a fun 
breakup anthem. I don't wouldn't even say a breakup anthem. It's a fun, I'm single trying to date and avoid the sleazy assholes of the world. And it's just, like I said, Pink was one of those artists where she was a pop star, but she wasn't a the typical pop star for her time. She wasn't overly polished. She said what she wanted. She said things that I think a lot of women were de were thinking deep down. So You In Your Hand is just another perfect example of it. It's just a really fun, upbeat track. And, and Pink is just, she's a rock star and you just, you hear a lot of that energy on this track. So I absolutely love it. This song came out in like 2006. So I'm really not gonna tell you to check it out if you haven't heard it. I'm sure you have, but this is a reminder to go back and listen to it again and go and listen to her whole I'm Not Dead album while you're at it too. We've come towards the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to me rant and ramble. I appreciate it. If you love this episode, then go ahead and give Listen To Me Speak a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate podcasts. If you want to keep up with this podcast further, you can head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There's links to all my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even YouTube. Again, that's www.listentomespeak.com. And if you want to support this podcast further, then please donate to my listeners' donation. That can be found on my Anchor page or my website as well. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak. Thank you.